Welcome to Open Mind Industries Podcast, The Mind Unleashed. Sit back, relax, and unleash your mind. Guys, Mr. Floyd is here. I didn't have the cameras on right now. It's been a while since I've recorded, and uh, let me just check the level. We are good. But Eric is an uh, author, writer, and uh, he does one of the Blues Brothers at uh, Universal Orlando, so I'm lucky to have him on. We're going to talk about horse racing, how he got into writing and stuff like that, and um, we're just going to sit back and relax. This one's going to be some free flow, so sit back and relax, and here we go. Welcome, man. How are you? Hey, I'm good, Ali. I appreciate you having me, man. Pleasure. Yeah, awesome. You're such an inspiration to so many people. I just want to say, coming right off the bat, man. I appreciate that. Always appreciate um I know maybe there's some challenges in your life, but you always come across with such a good attitude. And I just want to say that first and foremost, man. You're such an inspiration that, yeah. to so no, many thank people. Thank you, man. You've been, uh, you yeah. know, just getting to know you as a person, too. It's like cause a couple years ago, I knew you as an app performer and stuff like that, but never really got to deep dive with you and really get to know you. And then uh, about a year ago, you started, you're always in our, we, we call it like the office, stuff like that at work. And he's always writing and, you know, stuff like that. He's always in his mindset. And he just kind of, we start picking each other's brain because he's about sports and stuff like that. And just realized he was a really cool cat down to earth. And then he started to start a podcast. And that's how we kind of picked brains with how starting his podcast um, and stuff like that. So it's really cool to find out you're a writer and this is what you've been working on. And then horse racing was like your biggest thing. I was like, wow. And you're like, dude, we got a lot to deep dive. So we're going to get in a little bit of that too. Um, but how did you, you know, get into horse racing and stuff? What was it? How did it all begin? I grew up in Sarasota okay. and uh, there was a dog track down there. And I was really into dog racing for a while, but when I moved up to Orlando to finish my degree and mm-hmm. start going to UCF, I discovered thoroughbred horse racing. And so the first bet I ever made on a thoroughbred horse race was the 1997 Kentucky Derby. And I just happened to pick the winner. It was a horse named Silver Charm, mm-hmm. and that kind of hooked me for life. So this derby coming up a week from today on May 1st, that'll be the 25th derby of bet on. So I've been following this and really into it. And it's been a for quite a while, like, it wasn't like a, a quarter of a century. So it was like, you know, like a childhood thing your parents kind of drove you into it. You just kind of spotted it and was like, Ooh, I liked it. Yeah. I never really thought about it as a kid or anything. It was like, I discovered it when I was about 20. And like mm-hmm. I said, made that first initial hit, had some <laughs> beginner's luck and the rest is history, man. So yeah. Yeah. You got to say luck was on your side, lady luck. So yeah, absolutely. That's, that's how it was. Absolutely. What kind of, you know, what do you look for when you, you know, look into horses? You know, what do you, do you look for the jockey and kind of how that plays a role? Or? Well, I write for a, uh, a magazine called Southern Gaming and Destinations Magazine. They're mm-hmm. out of Louisville. And what they do is they preview different gaming properties across the United States, mm-hmm. mostly the southeast United States. But if a gaming property opens, a casino slash, you know, hotel that's attached to it, right. they'll do previews. But they have a group of writers who do tip columns on different genres of gambling. You've got craps, blackjack. Whatnot, and so I write their thoroughbred racing tip column. And just to answer your question, um, handicapping is an inexact science. Handicapping means trying to pick the winner of a horse race. Right. It's an inexact science, and different people weigh it differently. Different aspects of handicapping are more or less important to different people. For instance, you'll have uh, horses work out in the morning, like they train for their right. races. A lot of individuals or handicappers, they'll put onus on workouts. Some people look at the trainers, their record. Mm-hmm. Um, there's breeding that goes into it. Speed, Very much so, yeah. Speed figures, um, uh, medications, different medications. There's, there's all kinds of factors that go into handicapping a horse race. Mm-hmm. I'm what you call a class handicapper. And I'm really going to simplify this. 
but there are three classes when it comes to horse racing. You have claiming races, mm -hmm. allowance races, and stakes races. And that's really, really simplified mm -hmm. because in each of those three categories, you have different breakdowns within those, within those categories, I guess, subcategories. But basically, when horses win, they go up in class because as you go up in class, there's better purse money. Oh. And if horses don't do well for a while, they will drop the horse in class. So kind of like the stock market kind of... You Okay, that's how that kind of works. I, like I said, I'm all new to this. I don't, mm -hmm. you know, we. I grew up in, you know, upstate New York, Albany, New York, and we knew about Saratoga Raceway up there. But mostly, you know, I never really went to a couple of races. People did betting, but I never knew it as much as you knew it. As like, you know, there's a science to, you know, how they train, how how many hours, you know, the horse actually goes put in, and then the rest period. I'm like, oh, it's like a sport. And you're like, exactly. You just don't know. It's a crapshoot because you're watching each number. And I'm like, I was like, oh, it's like the stock market, like that. Exactly it. Trying to teach somebody handicapping would be like teaching somebody, okay, I'm going to teach you Mandarin Chinese or in, in an hour. It's right. not going to happen. No. It's taken, you know, I've been handicapping races for 25 years and you never stop learning. Wow. You know, you have to stay humble and draw on different people and sources and different angles, mm -hmm. they call it. And, and you'll find your niche, what's important to you. Mm -hmm. I put a lot of onus on speed figures and a lot of onus on class, but other people... I know a gentleman, he's the racetrack caller up at Woodbine Racetrack in Canada. His name's Robert Geller, a really good friend of mine. He strictly handicaps off what the horses look out, look like when they come out for the post parade. He's an expert on horse horse body language. Well, he can tell by like, the muscle mass and just how they're... Yeah, really? how they're carrying themselves, if they prick their ears, if they're swaying their tail, the way they walk and everything. So that's strictly how he handicaps the races. I didn't even races. know that that was... A, like, you can tell when like an animal's like, happy, but I didn't even know that somebody would sit there and go... Made that muscles way it's moving it's could be all something you know or wow a lot of the technical word for it is confirmation they'll mm -hmm. look at a horse's confirmation and mm -hmm. different things about the you know the length of the shortness of their legs and just a million different things but a I lot didn't of people know that it's yeah. like looking at a bodybuilder and going well that guy worked on his you know triceps or biceps and this is what his account's going to be for that or you know yeah. it's a good analogy that is yeah, that's amazing that he's able to like look at it and go, "Holy crap!" That's <laughs> I never like that's something I never knew. I, I didn't know somebody would stare at it and go, "Well, that guy, you know, with that, you can look how it's it's happy, so it's gonna be, yeah. get to run off the gun or out of the gate and stuff like that." There's a technical term. It's called how the horse turns out. And there's a handicapper down at Gulfstream Park in South Florida. Gulfstream's a huge opulent track, a major thoroughbred mecca in, in the United States, mm -hmm. down in Haddondale. And there's a handicapper down at Gulfstream, and her name is Katen Bradar. She works for TVG. That's a horse racing network that's out of L.A. Mm. But Katen Bradar is an excellent judge of confirmation. Really? And she does a lot of that, too. She'll pick the horses coming out of the paddock when they're saddling the horses in the paddock and getting ready. And she said, this horse looks really good. Holy Maybe not look good on paper, yeah. but, but keep an eye because he looks like he's feeling good. Or he or she looks like they're feeling good today. That's crazy that they're like... Their science goes into like the analogy of that. It's like I, let me just take a look at it, and I can analogize. It's crazy that they're like they're kind of um, I want to say uh, the therapist too, because they kind of look at you know your psyche of a psychologist and go, okay, I can see that 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 characteristics doing that, or you know, and then they kind of work with their own field. That's that's wild. I never even. Yeah, they're not machines. They're flesh and blood, yeah. and they have good days and bad days, and feelings, and they get happy and sad. So oh, all I know that goes into the, it. the horse training too. In your book, uh, you know about you know how they train, and you know you take them off for a few months, and then train them for certain tracks, and you know the, the dirt, and maybe the mud, mm -hmm. and then the conditions. You know, here living here in Florida is quite different from New York and stuff like that. That's a good point too. A lot of the tracks, like um, a lot of like they call Belmont where you're from up in New York, they mm -hmm. call Belmont Big Sandy. That's the nickname of that racetrack because the track is very deep. Mm -hmm. 
uh, very sandy and down a Gulf Stream, like I had mentioned, that they call that a highway. It's a really hard, flat really? racetrack, and the horses run faster times there, where the Belmont's a little bit more of a grueling surface. Yeah. So that was a good point you made. That's wild. I would have never, now, like, you know, never even thought of, like, how, you know, it's a science. I didn't even know the science of it. I think people, you know, gambling is number one with horse racing, let's be honest. Yes. People, that's the first thing people think of. They don't think about, okay, well, let me talk to Eric or somebody who's, there's a therapist looking at these horses or how they're training or eating and the dietitians. I didn't even know. I mean, I knew that by like, going to some of the stables and seeing how the, some of the horses do train, but I didn't know. I know it's a very expensive sport for some, and I know a lot of the breeders that are like, listen, this horse has won, you know, six, seven races, and this is where his lineage is, and I didn't even know it's people take it into a science of like of that or reading a body language or that analogy it's amazing that's yeah that blew my mind yeah it's I, definitely the sport of kings you mentioned it's a very expensive sport there's i have a good friend of mine his name is howard ostrom and he's the mutual manor, manager at the race book up in ocala but the obs sales the ocala breeder sales that's right. the second biggest thoroughbred auction site in the united states I outside would imagine, of, yeah. outside of keeneland because I knew a, a farm up in upstate New York, the guy was doing, uh, you know, horse breeding, and he's like, the sperm alone, like, just the breeding, the sperm was like $2,600 at the moment. Well, that's a good point you make. Actually, the money in horse racing is not on the track, but it's in the breeding shed. It's yeah. in the stud fees and anything. And, and, and he was everything. telling me, that he was like, he's like, that horse right there, and it's like $2,600. I'm like, for what? He's like, just the breed. A stud, they call it a stud yeah. fee. Like, they'll have certain horses that retire, and then they say, if this horse stands for this amount, that's what it be, and then they'll assign the amount. But just to circle back to my friend up at a, uh, OBS the sale is I go to the auctions and we hang out we watch the horses so I've seen a horse sell up there for four million dollars so uh, yeah it's definitely the sport of kings it's wow. yeah definitely who would have thought I mean it's a very expensive like I said expensive sport and it's when people think about horses now I don't understand why your your love is it's it's a universe like it's blowing my mind right now because I I come in knowing nothing but Saratoga and barely mm -hmm. going to any horse race and seen a couple and then I don't understand, you know, I, okay, they're doing a lot. But now what you're saying is, no, man, it's more of a sport. You're not seeing what we see. Here's how, you know, the, the dirt, the sand, it's like watching a football game. It's raining, it's sunshine. It all can affect the analogy of, you know, what, well, who's going to win? You, you don't know. It's a crapshoot. Yeah, the pageantry of it too. And you mentioned like they run on different surfaces. Some horses are bred just for the turf, i.e. the grass. Really? And so like you usually at, a, at most tracks, you'll have the outer dirt track and then you have an inside turf track. And then a lot of horses, world-class horses, they're just bred for the turf, you know? Wow. So there's different angles too. There's a turf to dirt angle. A lot of people think when horses come off the turf and they go to the dirt, they run better. And there's different theories on that. Right. So it's a rabbit hole, man. We, you, handicapping, you can go on forever. Is that anything to do with like the horseshoes or like saddles or like that? Did that, that all play a part in it too? Or no? Those are all like like I said, different equipments, and they do use different types of shoes. I mean, a farrier is an individual who shoes the horse, right. and that's a whole science too. The the width of the shoe, like horseshoes, are very very light. They're made they're not made of steel or metal. They're made of aluminum because yeah. they're very very light, but they're very very durable. But yeah. that's a whole other science too. You'll put on different shoes for the horse if the track is muddy, so on and so forth. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. Like that's the my mind like now i'm really learning that it, it is a sport i'm like but like i said i took it as you know going there to saratoga and just watching them race around and people were like people were punching walls because they're losing money and they're like <laughs> i'm like i want this one guy and he's throwing his tickets off the ground i'm like what's wrong with him they're like he just lost like two thousand dollars i'm like <laughs> okay like well you should have bet on someone like he didn't know he had a guy and in the end he thought he had a you know a rhythm down but he didn't it's like going to a casino you're you don't know it's Oh, yeah. I mean, it's very, very difficult to win. Uh, horse racing is very... It's difficult to win on horse racing, too, because there's something called the takeout. Mm. And I'm going to just very briefly... 
Um, let's just say you have an eight horse field and you're, you want to bet one of those horses to win. Mm -hmm. And all the money from, all, see, uh, horse racing is paramutual gambling and that's a French term that means gambling amongst ourselves. Really? See, the track doesn't put up the money. You're not trying to win the track's money. If you and me are at the track and we're both betting at you against me, you're gambling against all the other oh, patrons. Oh, that's how it's done. Yeah, so all the money goes into the pool. Everybody's money goes into the pool, and then the track takes out about 20% so of that, and they that keep make, that. And that makes for a cut. And then the rest of the money, that formulates the odds, and then when the, when the race goes official, then the results are tabulated, and the remaining 80% of the pool, that goes back to the patrons. So okay, I thought the like track is the only winner at the track. They, they always get paid. <laughs> Yeah, it's like the house always wins. Mm -hmm. I never knew that because, like, I didn't even know that analogy. I thought, thought, like, you know, okay, maybe the owners or trainers are putting up some cash or... No, and, and the takeout, that's where they also, that's where they get their purse money and, you know, they keep up, renovate the track and, and all things like that. That, so. makes, yeah, that makes sense now that they're able to stay, you know, open as long as they are. And it's the lineage of those tracks, too. Like I said, you know, the, like I said, I only grew up in Saratoga and I've seen that track. I didn't go to, like, many other tracks in Buffalo and stuff like that where people are yeah. just, like, all around, you know. Well, Saratoga, that's the jewel of the Northeast. Yeah. I mean, that, it doesn't get much better than that. Maybe Santa Anita out there in Arcadia, California. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's another big money, no messing around track. But Saratoga, man, is the absolute gem yeah. it's only a six week meet it's only six weeks wow but the best of the best go there and compete so just the, i've never been there so you you're really blessed to have seen that yeah i mean i've only been in like once it's just been like it's it's wild like i've seen i've seen people like almost throw fist fights because all that it's gambling essentially gambling like free gambling and people are just getting angry it's like I should have like boxed that score in or boxed this. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Like, well, you got to box this in to make this. And I'm like, a buddy of mine's gonna be yelling at me over the phone. He's like, if my mom just, you know, if she just fold, they would have made like I think what 300 bucks. But it, it was what it was. I didn't, I didn't understand it. Well, that's kind of what you're getting into. There's different ways to bet. Yeah. It, it's kind of like there's an infinite amount of ways to bet on the race. So you just can't, you know, you can bet to win. Obviously, the horse has to win. Betting to place. That means the horse has to come in first or second. Doesn't mm -hmm. matter if you can, he just has to hit the first two spots. Betting right. to show first, second, or third, but you win less going down the line. Right. Betting to place, you'll win less than betting to win. Betting to show, you'll win less than betting to place. Gotcha. And then you get into the exotics, you know, trifectas, mm -hmm. uh, perfectas, and superfecta, trying to pick the up to picking the first four horses that cross the wire in order. It gets very difficult, but you can win. You can really have a life changing score if you hit yeah. something like that. What kind of made, like, when your first bet happened, you know, what would they, you said it was like an epiphany of like, oh my God, I love this, like, and you started kept doing it, or, you know, what's your kind of take on it of, you know, betting and stuff like that? Well, I think it's just, I think when you get into it and you have beginner's luck and it's just like, oh, wow, you know, you think all of a sudden you found the key to retirement, but you find out very quickly that horse racing, I think, out of every gambling genre yeah. is the hardest to win consistently. If there is such a thing as a professional horse race player, I've never met them. No. And I've met all kinds of thousands and tens of thousands of characters at the track, yeah. but I've never met a pro, somebody who makes their living, because it kind of goes back to what I said, the takeout. Mm -hmm. To make a very long story short, not to get confusing, but if you go to the blackjack table, the house edge is 1%, right. 1-2%. And like I mentioned, the takeout in horse racing is 20%. It's very hard to overcome that takeout. Mm. And so it's very hard to make a living betting the horses. I mean, right. I do it for fun, for pleasure, enjoy the races, get out, get some air, and yeah, I see, just like, enjoy what, it. What would be the one track you really want to go to? I mean, you mentioned California. Mm -hmm. Belmont. Belmont would be one Yeah, of I mean, even over Churchill Downs where they run the Derby, because Belmont is just so, it's so steeped in history, mm -hmm. and it's kind of where the Triple Crown was born. I mean, if that's something I want to talk about. Like, what is the Triple Crown of mm -hmm. thoroughbred horse racing? Because that's going to kind of be the center of what we talk about today. Mm -hmm. 
So we can dig into that if you like to. Yeah. Well, the Triple Crown is made up of three races, mm -hmm. and it's held every year in the springtime. And the first race of the Triple Crown is the Kentucky Derby, the most famous horse race in the world. Everybody knows the. Kentucky yeah, I, Derby. I know of it. Yeah, I don't know. Like I was starting reading his book last mm -hmm. night through um, Kindle. And I'm not a very fast reader, so I have it automatically reading it to me through the person. It's like, oh, okay, this, now I'm kind of understanding of Secretariat, where they retire. That's probably where I got. I'm like, okay, this is what I'm getting at, getting at. Yeah, so the Kentucky Derby is run on the first Saturday in May every year. So that's the first leg of the Triple Crown. Two weeks after the Kentucky Derby, the Triple Crown goes up to Baltimore. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a track up there called Pimlico. And, that's, and they call, run the Preakness Stakes there. That's the second leg of the Triple Crown. And three weeks later, the Triple Crown goes to Elmont, New York. That's where Belmont Park is. Mm -hmm. And that's the third leg of the Triple Crown. So the Triple Crown, three races over the span of five weeks. The three races are run at different distances. The Derby is a mile and a quarter. The Preakness is a mile and three sixteenths. And the Belmont is a mile and a half. Okay. So the Belmont is the oldest. And the thing about the Triple Crown is only three-year-old horses can compete in the Triple Crown. So if you have a really, really good horse... He has to. He only's got. He he only has one chance to win the Kentucky Derby. Oh wow! He can't come back the next. If he has a bad trip, or he gets unlucky, or gets bumped around, and so he it's, just, it's one and done. You you got one chance to win the Triple Crown. It's the Triple Crown series is only open to three year old horses. Oh wow! You have to be a three year old horse to run in it, and so that's what makes the Triple Crown so special. You got one shot to try to win it. Mm -hmm. You can't come back, if you're a great horse and you had a bad day in the dirt, you can't come back next year and try it again. These horses who try to win the Triple Crown, win the Derby, they got one shot. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that all comes down to the jockey and trainers and a whole team of people. To well, yeah, and a lot of it comes down to a trip because we'll talk about the Derby here, but the Derby has 20 horses in it, and that's a huge field. Most fields are not that big, oh, and so yeah. a lot of racing luck comes into play in the Kentucky Derby. Oftentimes, the best horse doesn't always win the race. Right. And so you have to have what's it's called getting the trip. You have to have a good trip, meaning you have to get around the track without getting bumped or cut off or, mm. or, or things of that nature. I mean, we'll get into that more. So the, there's a lot of luck that goes into the Derby, not just handicapping. That's mm. why it's the most difficult race to win. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's wild. So they go there and then it's like, when that's all finally completed, you know, what's, uh, you know, what's the takeaway from that? You know, for the trainer, they, they win the huge trophy or is it a big, you know, big award or and that horse goes into retirement or? Well, I, the, they always move the purse money around for the Kentucky Derby. I believe it's at $3 million mm -hmm. right now. The winner gets 60% of that. And then, they, uh, and then I believe like second place gets 20% of that right. and then third place gets 10%. But the Derby, uh, like I had mentioned before, it's not just... The trophy for the Derby is really cool, actually. It's a, um, it's a golden cup that's 14 karat gold. Oh, wow. And then it has a figure of a, of a jockey riding a horse on top of it, and that's 18 karat gold. Oh, wow. So the Derby trophy in of itself is very valuable but it's just the prestige of winning the derby yeah, more than the money and yeah, just putting all that effort into you know it's like you said one and done if you if somebody's off a day a horse is not feeling correctly if the trainer didn't you know yeah not watching correctly it's, it's a lot to it's like training for a dang super bowl it's like you've done all this and everything's all your ducks in a row but you might not you just might yeah. not make it yeah and it's they call it the most exciting two minutes in sports the derby is only two minutes so you work all that you know that time and, and you have to qualify through yeah, a series be, of races i'd and, be freaking the hell out i can understand why you're like you're really into it because it's like you're sitting there going don't know 
You don't know. I mean, I, like, like I said, I've been watching the Derby 25 years. I've seen some crazy things happen. In 2009, a horse mined that bird. He won the Derby, and he was 50 to 1. Oh, wow. So, you know, a $2 bet on him to win would have won you $100. So, and he was a huge long shot. And so those things do happen. Wow. Yeah. I need to want to go next. Uh, I'll let you take it. Uh, so, talking about the Kentucky Derby and how all that happens. What happens after that usually? Like, what's, you know, what are the... Well, after the Triple Crown, I mean, like I said, those are only three-year-old horses that can run in the Triple Crown. But there's a lot of prestigious three-year-old races, uh, you know, later on in the year. You mentioned Saratoga. Mm -hmm. And um, Saratoga, they all, sometimes people refer to that as the fourth leg of the Triple Crown, even though it's an unofficial. They run a race up in Saratoga called the Travers mm. every I year. I heard that one, yeah. Yeah, and that's a very prestigious race. So a lot of horses, if they do good in the Triple Crown, the, the trainers will point them to the Travers and whatnot. And then at the end of the year, there's the Breeders' Cup World Thoroughbred Championships. Mm -hmm. That's a two-day event. And the best of the best horses from all around the world go there and compete over two days. And they move it around. Sometimes it's in California, sometimes New York, sometimes Florida. But there's all different divisions of races in the Breeders' Cup mm -hmm. and for fillies and three-year-olds and older horses. And so, uh, and there's a lot of purse money at stake there too. So those top-level three-year-olds, they'll come out and they'll, they'll, the trainers will usually, if they do good in the Triple Crown, maybe the Travers, maybe the Breeders' Cup, something like that. So, right. Yeah. What is it? Not only with the United States, is there anything in, in the, you know, the UK and racing-wise there? I'm not as versed in, in European and foreign racing as I am in American racing, but for instance, like last week, there they call it the Ascot um, meet, and that's over in England. And mm -hmm. the Ascot Gold Cup, a lot of people consider that the most prestigious horse race in the world. Mm -hmm. I think there's something interesting about that. They, you can't even go into the winner's circle at Ascot if you're an owner or trainer without wearing top hat and tails. Really? That's how prestigious oh, it is. Wow. And the queen goes and everything. It's really right. cool. Yeah. yeah and condolences yeah. for her for losing her husband. Because I'm a big fan of the queen because yeah. she races horses. And she, I've seen her race horses at Belmont Park. She's, and she's gone to the Derby. She's a big racing fan. Did not know that. Well, I knew she was like big into, you know, likes the dog racing apparently from what i've been told and i didn't know about the horse racing you would think though with, with that kind of you know tradition so much she would be yeah, yeah definitely definitely would be um what's i gonna say next so when the when all the triple crowns over what's their next rounds are like i said maybe the travers maybe the breeders cup mm -hmm. and then you know then some of them will retire if they've done well they'll put them out to the breeding shed mm -hmm. but then you know if they go on to races four-year-olds well you have to understand like a three-year-old horse the ones that race in the triple crown series you can equate those to like high school athletes they're uh, not even really fully mature yet and so that's why the triple crown it's very hard to win because these horses are very young and they're inexperienced and they're lightly raced and horses usually mature and, and gain their full ability at like four or five so right. and there's many prestigious races for older horses during the course of the year what's their you know what, what, when do they kind of x out the horse and say okay you're too old it like, just depends it's like any other athlete i mean aka tom brady i mean he he you know like some horses race for a very long time and can stay at their game other and horses these horses are very fragile thoroughbreds are very fragile so they get injured easy yeah and so you know sometimes an injury will take them out except it really just depends you know i've seen horses run at eight years old nine years old that's rare but Usually around like five years old, five and six, they start to kind of you know, retire. Sorry, guys. It's all good. The phone's on. The phone is on. Um, what jockey do you really follow? What made you getting looking to a jockey? Do you look into jockeys, your favorite jockeys at all? I'm not so much really into that as I am the horses. I mean, I love the pageantry of horse racing. I love the gambling, the jockeys, the trainers, the crowds, the big hats and everything like that. But I'm more of a fan of the horses. 
I'm more of a fan. I don't really, there's, you know, a couple of jockeys I have a lot of respect for. Mike Smith is a great jockey. Uh, he won the Triple Crown in uh, 2018 on a horse named Justify. Oh. Uh, I'm really a big fan of him. But um, right now, the Ortiz brothers are, are a big, uh, they're really at the top of the game right now. But I'm not so much of a huge jockey fan as I am the horses. horses I'm more of a fan of the horses, yeah. You're more about the allure, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, man. Ah. <laughs> and that, thank you. Sorry, guys, put that on my phone on vibrate. <laughs> Um, what was I gonna say? So you were more like about the allure of the track, the horses, how they study. You're about more about the numbers and the love of that. You like to see, you know, kind of the analogy of that. Yeah, I mean, it's like you know, money comes and goes, man. But it's just like, like I said, big reason I wrote my book. I mean, if you want to get into that, was oh, that because I wanted to give something back to to racing, mm -hmm. and that really comes down to the horses. I mean, everybody who's really serious about horse racing, they know it's all about the horses. The horses are the star of the show. Right. Yeah. But um, watching how they train and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. When you when we're talking about your book, and you mentioned to me it took you almost ten years to write it. It did. Yeah. How did you even start, begin, you know, what was the beginning process? Well, okay, so just to give a little history on the Triple Crown. And so the Kentucky Derby was inaugurated in 1875, okay? And the Preakness um, was inaugurated two years after that. The Belmont is the oldest of the Triple Crown races. That was inaugurated in 1867, mm -hmm. okay? So those three races, they've been around almost 150 years, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, over that span of time, only 13 horses have swept the Triple Crown, meaning they've won the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont Stakes. And what happened was, in 1978, a horse won the Triple Crown. His name was Affirmed. And then there was a huge drought. A horse didn't win the Triple Crown again until 2015, a horse named American Pharaoh. He broke the Triple Crown drought. So it was a 37-year gap of the Triple Crown drought. And so around 2008, I had been into following horse racing for about 10 years. And over that 10 years, there were a lot of near misses of the Triple Crown. Horses would win the Derby and the Preakness, but they'd lose the Belmont. The Belmont's kind of the backbreaker of right. the series. Because it's the longest, it's a mile and a half. Horses usually don't run that far in their career. That's a long way for a horse to run. And that's their third race in five weeks. So they're getting tired at that point. Right. Okay. So there were a lot of near misses. And so I had such esteem for these 11 horses up until that point who had actually won the Triple Crown. Mm -hmm. I said to myself, hey, let's write a book and say if we put those 11 horses from the 20th century into the starting gate yeah. and they all raced, who would be the greatest of the Triple Crown champions? Yeah. And a lot of people ask me, see, now the Triple Crown, so I started writing the book in 2008 and I published the book, um, like you said, it was uh, two years ago, it was in 2019, so it really took me 11 years to write. So I was about halfway through the book in 2015 when American Pharaoh won the Triple Crown. And a lot of people said to me, well, how come you didn't add him into the book? You have to understand, I was halfway through the book. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself, it wasn't just as easy as adding him into the book. I basically would have had to have started over. 
Yeah. Okay. And I said, well, I can do that or I can just finish it with these original 11 horses. Mm -hmm. And then I'm happy I did that because in 2018, another horse came along. His name was Justify. He won the Triple Crown. Mm -hmm. And so I would have had to start all over again. Yeah. I guess so I said I had to get to the point where I have to finish this. But you were getting to the analogy of mm -hmm. like what you thought because mm -hmm. it was, like you said, a drought unheard of. Yeah. And you were like, let me see. Let's say in 21st century how this happened. Right. Let me put my own little cards in here and see how it goes. I, I see what they're saying with the same thing. You're like, this is my game plan. This is my baby. This is what I want to see. Yeah. And it's weird that everybody's like, well, he won. It's like, I understand that. But let's, this is my, what my, my structure is for now. We know he won, but mm -hmm. let me show you what I got. So. Yeah, so I took those 11, how I, like I said, the name of the book is um, Heaven's Premier Horse Race. And it's a fictional book, a novel, and like I said, because the 11 horses who won the Triple Crown in the 20th century, they're obviously dead. Yeah. They've gone on to heaven, quote-unquote. <laughs> American Pharaoh, who won the Triple Crown in 2015, and Justify, who won it in 2018, they're still with us. And so, like I said, the book centers on the first 11 Triple Crown winners. And the book is set at a racetrack called, because people are like, well, where are you going to have this race? Because it's a race that's quote-unquote taking place in heaven. Mm. And so I, ha I set the race at a place called Jerome Park Racetrack. Okay? Mm -hmm. So Jerome Park Racetrack um, was a racetrack that existed in the Bronx, New York mm. from 1866 to 1894. Wow. And the Belmont Stakes was first run at that track in 1867. The Belmont being the oldest of the Triple Crown series. Mm. So and so the the many things went on. There were gambling. Uh, you know the the state shut down gambling in 1894 in the late 1800s, and that's why that track ended up closing. But I said, hey, let's resurrect this track in heaven mm. because it was kind of the birthplace of the Triple Crown because the Belmont Stakes was first run at Jerome Park in 1867. I like how you were able to like pick up things of like, let me pull this out and pull that out. And things are just beautiful to you. And mm -hmm. like, this is what started it, guys. This is like the birth of it. Let's bring that back. And yeah, so well, I, I figure, like I said, in the book, like I said, so what happens is there's something in the book called a connection summit. That's like chapter one. Mm -hmm. And all these connections of these horses. So you got, you know, this place up in heaven called Paradise Farms. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's where these 11 Triple Crown winners from, that's where they live. You know, the angels take care of them. That's and what everything. I got into last night. And yeah. Like, you know, they're sitting there and they have horse licks and this. And it's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, this is kind of. So they're all in their solid gold <laughs> stables and everything. And so the, like, the, they call it the connection. So the owners, the trainers, the jockeys of these horses, they all come together at yeah. a connection summit. They say, hey, we want this race to happen. But they have to come up with the specifications, like how long is the race going to be and, and, you know, different things like that. So they're all brainstorming and they're like, well, you know, what's the distance of it? You know, and, and well, what do we want with this? And are we going to have a starting gate? Are we not going to have a starting gate? And all these things. And in the middle of all these things, they get all that hammered out. And then towards the end of the Connection Summit, these two guys show up because there's a problem with, well, where are we going to have a race? Is there even a racetrack in heaven? Mm. So this guy shows up, and he shows up with his business partner. So the main guy, his name is Leonard Walter Jerome. Now, Jerome, he built Jerome Park Racetrack there in the 1800s in the Brock. He was, a, he was an interesting guy. He's the maternal grandfather of Winston Churchill. Really? Yeah, so he's a really interesting guy. And he was also called the King of Wall Street because he, like, won and lost multiple fortunes on the New York Stock Exchange. Mm. So he comes up to these guys, and he goes, hey, you need a place... To, rate, to do this race, I've got the perfect place because my track, you know, is up here 
and um, you know we're gonna ha we can have it at my track. I can bring all you guys in. We have the best of the best. And Jerome's uh, business partner is a guy named August Belmont. And August Belmont is a famous New York politician mm. and financier from New York. He lived around the same time as Belmont, and they were good friends. Mm. And Belmont helped finance that track. Going, yeah. And so Jerome was so thankful that his buddy helped him build the track. He named his tracks Marquee Race, the Belmont Stakes. So that's where you get the Belmont Stakes. Gotcha. Yeah, and so the connections are like, oh, this sounds great. Um, love it. Yeah, we'll, we'll have the race there. And so then, you know, they all ship their horses into Jerome Park. And then there's a whole bunch of twists and turns and, and plot changes as uh, the race is set on New Year's Eve. So the race comes together around the end of September. And so there's a three month window there where the horses are training up to the race. But, you know, I insert different gamblers and their stories and, and all kinds of twists and turns as the race approaches. Mm -hmm. And finally, on New Year's Eve, all 11 horses break from the gate and then you got to see who wins. Yeah. So, yeah. It seemed like it's like a good read. Like I said, I found it. Uh, he gave me a copy and I started reading it. Um, then a couple of weeks ago, I went to Kindle because I have a, my ADD is weird. So I'm like, oh, I can read it. And I slowed down, kept putting it back. Luckily for those who, he doesn't have an audio book, unfortunately, but there is an option for you to get it on Kindle and you can turn your phone on to speech to text. So if you're sitting in the car, you can actually have it play to you. So, uh, pick the voice that you'd like and sit back and definitely enjoy it. it. It makes it very fun to, like, live the story. I'm surprised you haven't done an audiobook yet before. Have your wife read it or something like that? I guess, sir, I just really, there wasn't so many people that, I guess I'm so old school. I'm a hard copy guy anyway. Mm. But, yeah, I just did want to mention that the book is all for charity. Mm. And I know we've talked about that, but if I could just give the details oh, of that. absolutely, yeah. So, um, the book is all for charity. So, basically... Um, there is a, uh, a woman's prison up in Lowell, Florida, mm -hmm. called Lowell Correctional Center. It's the biggest woman's prison in America. And they have a farm there. It's called Second Chance Farm. And they bring in retired racehorses. And the inmates who qualify for the equine program, they help rehabilitate the horses. And they learn new life skills that can help them after they're released. Mm -hmm. And so all the money from the book, all the proceeds that come in, 100% of the profits, are given to that farm to not only help the horses that come off the track, mm -hmm. um, you know, rehabilitate and have a great retirement away from the racetrack, but it also helps those ladies who are trying to put their life back together. And so, like I say, 100% of the proceeds for the book goes to go to that mm, cause. That's so. wonderful. Yeah, I didn't know that until my... I'm, I'm glad I, I helped donate to that, and I'm glad I bought another copy to help with that charity because that's a beautiful thing that, you know, it's like, let me give back in some way. And you, you always keep giving back in some short way with this book, and it seems mm -hmm. awesome. I can't wait to finish it. And like you said, you're not going to know the end, so I'm kind of curious who's going to win that, that race, and we'll see how that ends up in a, in a couple hours when I finish the book finally. But... It's crazy that, like, it took you, you know, you said now 11 years to finish the book, and, you know, mm -hmm. this is how you... Did you have anything that, you know, when you're writing it, like, maybe I should stop writing, or writer's block, or anything like that, or...? No, you know why it took so long was because a lot of research went into the mm -hmm. book, because, um, for instance, I'm just going to use this as an example. Like, the horse that won the Triple Crown in 1930, mm -hmm. his name was Gallant Fox, and so I just didn't want to throw him into the story without giving some background. So in the book, there are these things called interludes, and when I introduce a character into the book or a horse, I kind of give some background on that character. So I'm not just throwing this horse named Gallant Fox into the story. You learn a little bit about mm -hmm. him, what his idiosyncrasies was, like what his... For instance, the Triple Crown, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, you've got the Kentucky Derby the first Saturday in May, two weeks later is the Preakness, and three weeks later is the Belmont. But mm -hmm. the Triple Crown hasn't always looked like that. 
Um, the Triple Crown has gone through a lot of changes over the last 150 years. Like Pimlico Racecourse, where the Preakness is held, and Churchill Downs, where the Derby is held, mm -hmm. back in the early 1900s, those two tracks, they were vying to see which track was going to be the best in the United States. And so Gallant Fox actually won the Preakness Stakes, and then a week later, the Kentucky Derby was run. Mm. Because those two tracks, they were kind of vying against each other for superiority, and so there was a lot of competition, and the Triple Crown really hadn't become an official thing yet. Mm. And so the Triple Crown's gone through a lot of different changes. Actually, of the 13 horses that have won um, the Triple Crown, only five of the horses have won it under the format that's currently in place. Right. So there's been a lot of changes to the Triple Crown over the years. So I talk about Gallon Fox, how he won the Preakness before the Derby. He had a propensity to, he was really interesting, he had a propensity to rubberneck meaning when he would be running down the lane, he was like, he would lose focus. And he'd look at the infield and look at the crowd. It's kind of like a human ADD kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And so they equipped him with something called blinkers. And so those are like cups that go over his eyes. Yeah, and like it a makes blind. They, well, they call them, I, think, but I, I heard blinders before. Yeah. Which pretty much just kind of boxes you in. So yeah, like one, a couple of the horses we'll talk about if we get to handicapping next week's derby, we'll talk about it. But And so they, they put blinkers on the horse to make him focus. But he had some other idiosyncrasies too. He liked to rub up against other horses while he was running. If he made the lead, he would slow down because he, didn't, he thought the race was over. And so the jockey would really have to time his move perfectly. So I get into, like I said, the book took so long because I got into a lot of the idiosyncrasies and the history of the characters in the book. And that right. took a lot of research. And, you know... Thank God you did, because most people, you know, they, they look at it and they're just like, well, he didn't research, you know, when you do your fact-checking, did anybody kind of call you out on that, or do you, you just kind of make your own kind of thing and just check it yourself? No, I, like I said, I, I was, and nobody's ever called me out on anything, because as far as I know, and like I said, even uh, doing research on Jerome Park, which mm -hmm. was a racetrack that's been closed for over 100 years, it's very difficult to find information mm -hmm. on that. I mean, even on Wikipedia or, or other really? places, I really had to archive some old... Uh, pieces of the New York Times and stuff like that to really? really figure out this track and what happened and everything. So I will say the book is very, very detailed. I mean, it, there's it a lot. It seems like it, yeah, because like it's about 500 and something pages. And I'm like, once I went to Kindle, Kindle was like, hey, you got five hours in this book. I'm like, woo. And they're like, yeah, it's a lot in here, but there's a lot of love in it too. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, I think it's like important if you're passionate about something to know its history. Yeah. And, I, and horse racing's history is so rich, man. And there's so much to it, and I'm well, hard. It's been going on for so long. It's like, yeah. you, somebody said, like, you know, you 1800s, 1700s, and you're like, wait, they've been racing. Yeah, dog racing has been around that long, horse racing has been around that long. And I can see your passion. It's like, you're like, some of these tracks, man, are, you know, old and they have rich, rich history. And yeah. most people that walk in, like, eh, it's just horse racing. It's, you know, some just see it as gambling, but you see it as more as the history, the love, yeah. of how the hell it got there, and how it was built by these people that really gave a crap. Yeah, like I said, there's like horse owners, I mean, who really, really, you know, there's been some bad press on how they treat horses and whatnot, but every horse owner I've ever met, they treat those horses like their children. They give them the best of the best of yeah, everything. Yeah, and it's all really I've seen. I've heard something in New York that happened. They found a trailer that was, you know, four horses malnutrition, but this was like a couple of years ago in upstate New York. But other than that, the places that I went to, everybody was super lovely, all the trainers and people that were very nice, you know, pet the horse or whatever, you know, they love to be pet or touched or whatever like that, so... Yeah, they all have different personalities, yeah. too. Like, that's a good point. I mean, some are really, really mean. They don't want nothing to do with yeah. anybody. Others are big dogs. They're mm -hmm. big teddy bears. So, yeah. yeah, they have personalities. Like I said, they're flesh and blood, man. I mean, they're not machines. So, mm -hmm. yeah. 
there anything else you wanted to get into? I know you had a couple things we wanted to go over. You want to talk about the Derby a little next yeah. week? Try to give your listeners a chance to make some money? You know what? I don't see, obviously, why not? All right. All right. I just want to say, I guess, first of all, a lot of people are like, we will talk about it, but like, where... Oh, let me say this real first about the book real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Just the book is available on Amazon. All you got to do is type in Heaven's Premier Horse Race. And I'll put and, a link in the description for you guys. Cool. Yeah. So I just want to... And like he said, it's available hardback, hard, hardback and uh, Kindle, but... Kindle, and it's, I think it's on... Uh, yeah, hardback, Kindle, and a few other places that you can get it. Those are the only two that I know of. But yeah, definitely get a copy, guys. Really cheap. It's about four dollars if you want to get the Kindle version. And then for paperback, I think it's like fourteen bucks. But it is going to a good charity, so definitely do that. I'll put a link down below in the description for you. Yeah, I thank you. I appreciate that, man. No, no worries. But uh, a lot of people are going to say, "Well, you're going to talk about the Derby. Where am I going to bet it?" And I'm not affiliated with either of these platforms, mm. but TVG.com is a really cool platform, and they give sign-up bonuses. A lot of sign-up bonuses. Um, you can go on there and sign up. You can get, you know, some free money to bet and whatnot. And another good one is Twin Spires. And they have sign-up bonuses, completely legal here in Florida. Mm. So it completely legit. I've used both of those platforms for years and years. I'm not affiliated with either. I'm not getting a kickback for any of this. But if you want a place to bet, TVG.com or Twin Spires, I would recommend. Yeah. But, yeah, so a week from today, May 1st, is the Kentucky Derby, and you want to talk about a few of the horses they're going to be in? Yeah, man, I'd love to know about that. Well, like I said, all I know is Secretary and all the you know, other ones that I, you know. Yeah, he's not running this year. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad, right? Yeah, no, right. Everybody's like, he's, he's back? Yeah. I mean, if you watch Craig Ferguson's old show, he used to have Secretary running around in the little suit. But, you know. uh, yeah. <laughs> But anyway, so it's, it is kind of difficult, I just want to say this, to, to predict the Derby winner a week out because they haven't drawn for post. And he has notes here, guys. He's got his check bag. <laughs> we'll see what he's got for you. But it, it, um, they haven't drawn for post position yet. No. And so, no, they do that on Tuesday. And so there's 20 horses in the field. Mm. And what, what, post position is not something I usually pay attention to, but mm. post position in the Derby is very important. And the reason it being is because... When they break from the gate, if you go onto YouTube and look at any edition of the Kentucky Derby, mm -hmm. like if you go on last year and just look up 2020 you know, Kentucky Derby, you'll see what I'm talking about. When they break from the gate, those horses that are on the outside, yeah. like those horses 10 through 20, they all gravitate in towards the rail. And they do that because they don't want to get hung wide going around the first right. turn. Because every path a horse is off the rail they lose a length going around the turn. Right. So if They're a horse curvature. is if, so if a horse is four pads wide going around the turn, he's losing four lengths. They call it losing ground. Yeah. So like the shortest point between two spots is a straight line, right? And for the analogy for those who are into horse racing, if you watch motocross, something like that, that's exactly what he's talking about with dropping the gate. Yeah, exactly. And so post position is really big because those horses on the outside, they'll come in, they'll gravitate in. Mm -hmm. And some of those yes. horses that break out yeah. of post one, two, and three, they get slammed up against the rail. Yeah, and you really got to, like you said, it's up to the jockey to really understand the horse. And, you know, mm -hmm. okay, let me, once you break from the gate, you usually have a couple seconds to even get the whole shot or just kind of hold in there for the, you know, that long run. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, it's like motocross. You're just trying to get that whole shot to stay ahead. Yeah. And keep, you know, either, the, you know, your bike or your horse. Keep it calm, keep it focused, because like you said, each track is different with sand and dirt, and you're just like, okay, we got this. Yeah, so, but anyway, so your favorite for the Derby this year is going to be a horse named Essential Quality. He's going to be your favorite this year. He's probably going to go off around 5-2, to 3-1, to one. Mm. but he's going to be your favorite. He's your 2022 year old champion. The horse has never lost. He's five for five. Really? Okay. And he's actually trained. It's a really cool story, Ali. He's trained by a guy named Brad Cox. 
and he's trying to become the first uh, winner of the Derby that was actually born in Louisville. So it's never happened before. That's intriguing. Yeah, that it's has never... a good backstory. And so he's five for five, never lost. And his last race, he won a very prestigious prep race for the Kentucky Derby called the Bluegrass Stakes. Mm. And he was tested in that race by another horse named Highly Motivated, but he gutted out the win by half a length. So this is a very good horse, and he's a really pretty horse. He's a roan or a gray. He's a really beautiful horse. Yeah. And, you know, I couldn't knock anybody taking betting this horse. Mm. I really, if you said, hey, I'm going to bet Essential Quality win the Derby, I couldn't talk you out of it. No. You know, but at the same time, you know, it's funny. When I first started following the Derby, for about the first 10 or 15 years, the rule of thumb was, oh, never bet the favorite. The favorite never wins. But really? in, in recent years, um, actually eight out of the last 10 years, the favorite has won the Derby. I mean, starting in like 2013, right. you had a favorite named Orb. In 2014, California Chrome won the Derby. 2015, American Pharaoh won the Derby. These are all favorites. And so even in 2019, the favorite won the Derby. He was a horse named Maximum Security, mm -hmm. but he got disqualified. It was the first time it ever happened in the history of the Kentucky Derby. So the favorites have done very well lately. So I couldn't, you know, knock anybody who wants to take this horse. Yeah. Uh huh. At the same time, we were talking before we went on the air that this isn't the strongest derby field that I've seen. Mm. And so I don't think, you know, it's a bad idea to maybe take a longer shot so we can talk to maybe a couple other of those horses. Absolutely. So there's a horse I kind of like. And if the derby were running today, mm. I would probably go with this horse. His name is Known Agenda. OK, I love the names. Now, as a two-year-old and early in his three-year-old season, Known, Known Agenda showed a lot of promise, mm. but um, he was coming in like third and fifth in these stakes races. But then there was a jockey, and there's a gentleman named Todd Pletcher who trains Known Agenda. Todd Pletcher is a very famous trainer. Have you ever heard of Bob Baffert? Sounds familiar, but might not be familiar with the face. He's the most famous trainer uh, right now in thoroughbred racing. He's won the Kentucky Derby six times. Wow. But Todd Pletcher is another famous trainer. He's won the Kentucky, Kentucky Derby two times. He won it in 2010 with a horse named Super Saver, and he won it in 2017 with a horse named Always Dreaming. So he always has a really good barn. So he's going to send out a horse named uh, Known Agenda. And a couple of races back, they equipped... He was doing okay. He's out of a horse named Curlin. I mean, that's his dad. Mm. And Curlin was the horse of the year in 2008. And Curlin came in third in the Kentucky Derby in 2007. So he's got the breeding for the distance. Right. That's another really important factor, that these horses have to be bred to go the distance. Right. A mile like and a quarter is a, is a long way like for horses to Like you were saying previously, run. it's like, you know, some horses are bred just for, you know, uh, turf. Some are bred for the dirt. Some are bred, which I never even knew. It's like, you know, that horse right there is only good for grass. Yeah, you have to be bred in the Kentucky Derby for a classic distance. And so this horse definitely has the breeding. And they equipped this horse with blinkers two races ago, mm. and he turned into another horse. It got him more focused. And um, he uh, won, uh, it, it was called an optional claiming race down at Gulfstream as kind of like a warm-up with these blinkers. But then he won the Florida Derby. Oh, wow. And so the Florida Derby has produced more Kentucky Derby champions than any other prep race. And so the Florida Derby is a good barometer of who's going to win the Derby. Mm -hmm. And he beat a horse in the um, Florida Derby called Greatest Honor. And greatest honor before he got hurt, he's off the derby trail now. He was first or second on a lot of people's derby picks. So he beat a really good horse in the Florida Derby. Oh, wow. And uh, like I said, he's, he, and the last thing I like about this horse is he has something called tactical speed. 
And a horse that has tactical speed means they can win from anywhere. See, horses have different running styles. Mm -hmm. Some can only win on the lead. Some come from all the way back. Yeah. But Known Agenda has tactical speed. The jockey can put him wherever he wants to in the race, and he can still win. That is fascinating. So he's, like I said, he's a horse uh, I, I think has a good shot, and I think maybe he'll be your third choice, maybe five, six, seven to one, something in there. Um, so, yeah. so That's crazy like i never heard of that technical you know technical events but i didn't even know jockeys can kind of even like okay let's save the energy for here stamina for here and that's i find that very intriguing that's, that's yeah an awesome in my mind so I'm, i'll give you can i give you one long shot good i'll give you one long shot before we sign off okay, okay. so every year there's a racetrack in tampa called tampa bay downs mm -hmm. so every year i go down to their prep race for the uh, kentucky derby it's called you know big surprise the tampa bay derby mm -hmm. And a lot of horses have come out of the Tampa Bay Derby and gone into the Kentucky Derby and have done well. Not necessarily win, but they've done well. It's called, if you come in first, second, or third in a horse race, it's mm. called hitting the board. And so I'm going to give you a long shot maybe to keep an eye on. I think he's worth maybe a couple of bucks to hit the board to mm. come in first, like you'd bet him to show. But his name is Helium. He's only run three races in his life, okay? Oh, wow. And he, he actually is out of Canada. He was running up in Canada, but then on his third lifetime race, he came down and he won the Tampa Bay Derby. Um, he won the Tampa Bay Derby. He was 15 to 1. And now they're going to send him to the Derby. He's going to be a real long shot, man. He's going to be 20, 25 to 1. Yeah. But a lot of horses have come out of the Kentucky Der uh, Tampa Derby, and they've done sneaky well in the... Um, Kentucky Derby. Right. Street Sense was a horse, a really good horse, who won the Tampa Bay Derby in 2007. He went on to win the Kentucky Derby. Super Saver came in third in the Tampa Bay Derby in 2010. He won the Kentucky Derby. Mm -hmm. A horse named Bluegrass Cat in 2006. He came in second in the Tampa Bay Derby. He came in second in the Kentucky Derby. And oh, recently, wow. in 2019, there was a horse named Tacitus. He won the Tampa Bay Derby. And he ended up coming in third in the Kentucky Derby. So a lot of these horses who race at Tampa, yeah. uh, Tampa is a smaller track, but uh, it seems these horses who come out of Tampa and go to the Derby, they sometimes do okay. So I think he'd be worth a few dollars as a long that, shot. That's interesting, too, because it's like a lot of these horses, like they're only shot. And then when they come out, it's like maybe people are kind of thinking, okay, well, don't really like him, but out of the blue, he you contender to look at you're like wow yeah the funny thing about the kentucky derby too is an interesting fact about the races people who don't bet all year mm -hmm. will bet on the kentucky derby and so what i'm trying well, to say that is that to an end the name of the you know with the kentucky derby it's yeah lineage so a lot of uneducated money goes into this race mm -hmm. a lot of people will bet names or lucky numbers and stuff like that so you'll get horses who have no business being you know eight or ten to one though they, they should be 20 or 25 to 1, but people will like a name or they'll gravitate towards, you know, like maybe the jockeys, you know, they have a sentimental story attached mm -hmm. to them. So if you do your homework and really kind of plug into a horse that you really think has a good shot, you can do well because the odds don't necessarily necessarily reflect in the derby how good the horse is, if that right. makes sense. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's kind of hard. Like you said, it's a, it's a, it's a crapshoot. You don't know what you're going to get and people, you know, it, it's the lineage of the name of Kentucky Derby and then you're looking at the jockey, the horse, stuff like that. And they said mm -hmm. uneducated money because that's people want to make a quick buck. It's funny too because like I was talking about Essential Quality who's going to be your favorite for the Derby. Mm -hmm. In his last race, 
he barely beat i mean he's undefeated horse but he barely beat a horse named highly motivated yeah and so you know essential quality in the derby is going to be five to two three to one highly motivated who barely lost to your favorite he'll probably be ten to one yeah so why not put a couple bucks on him and try to you know because obviously the horse can run with the best who's in the race he barely lost so and, and that happens a lot that um, the next time the horses will face each other, the other horse will win. And like you said, you don't know you don't know if the horse is going to have a bad day, the heat, the cooling, everything like mm-hmm. that inside the weather. And I don't know what they're going to do with COVID. I know they're going to have a limited thing, but normally at the Derby, you have 100,000 people yelling, yeah. and so and that might affects be a lot the horses of OB, too. OBT, off-track betting, and uh, a lot, probably a lot of digital video watching, I'm guessing. It's my guess. Mm-hmm. Like you said, with COVID being a thing, and mostly the shot is out, but most people aren't. Candy rounds still around each other because we're still not off of the you know COVID watch. That's going to be an interesting kind of thing. I, I'm thinking, yeah, definitely OBT mostly, or like you said, they're going to have one of these you know bet gambling things where you can go in and do your thing, watch it on the screen. Yeah, because that, that might be an idea. Because it sucks that you can't really go to a big prestige thing, and you know unless you're wealthy and you get to live in a skybox and you're you know you by yourself. But that kind of sucks. But it, it is what it, it is. What it, is. <laughs> it is what it is. You got to do. It is what, you it what it is. You got to do. Yeah. Is there anything else you kind of wanted to touch on? I know you had a couple things you knew on handicapping and kind of stuff like that. And no, like I said, I just hey man, just if you bet the Derby next week, good luck. And like I said, I appreciate letting me come on and talk about the book a little bit. Like you said, it goes to a great cause. And uh, if anybody has any questions about the book, I'll just throw out my email. You got questions about the book or just horse racing in general? You want to learn more? It's a simple email: Eric Floyd, F L O Y D, the number twenty eight at Gmail. So give me a holler if you want to know more about the book or horse racing in general. Yeah, man, really cool cat and stuff like that. Like, I also want to touch before we even get off the subject about sure. your, your writing. Um, what would be one thing you would tell to writers that are scared to publish, or just you know, how what should they do? You know, it's just like I think. Don't let failure the the fear of failure stop you from something because I think you know when you're on your deathbed you don't want to have any regrets so if you say to yourself hey I want to write a book and you know even my book it's a very niche book right you know number one horse racing is not the most popular thing in the world and you know like you said most people who are into horse racing they're more into the betting aspect Mm -hmm. of it they're not really reading so my book is a niche within a niche and so, like I say, people like, uh, I, I like KDP, Kindle Direct Publishing, if people are interested. It's a very user-friendly platform. Uh, they've, you know, as far as getting paid and everything, everything's been good with that. And uh, I would say just do it because it's very, very easy. Yeah. And then, you know what? Writing the book is the easy part. Marketing it is, it, that's where you have to hustle. Because it's kind of like these days, kind of like take your podcast. And I know we talk a lot about podcasts because I do one too. Now anybody can do a podcast. Anybody yeah. can write a book. So how do you differentiate yourself? How do you separate yourself? You have to be creative and you have to really, I mean, I, I man, feverishly market my book all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm always on, you know, social media, pushing it and pushing it. and push. So, you know, no one's going to come find you. Right. But if you write it and you believe in it and you believe it, just don't give up and keep marketing it. And so, yeah, just, yeah, that's it. I think that's what people are more terrified of because I get a lot of friends that are writers and they're like, I didn't know he wrote. And I'm mm-hmm. like, dude, he's always writing. He's got like, this is his third book. And you've published before, and I was like, I was looking at Amazon. I'm like, oh, you have published before, and you're like, I have. It's just, it takes time, it takes you know effort. Yeah. And you gotta have the courage to go, you know, eff it. Let me just 
put it out there. It's a labor of love. I mean, you know, like I said, I mean, I, I worked on that for 10, 11 years. Will that all ever come back to me? I don't know. But I have the satisfaction of knowing, you know, I would rather shoot for my dream and miss than not shoot for it. And oh, so exactly. like, if, if you have a dream, like I said, if you're out there and you're writing and you want to go for it, go for it. And, like, and then just, you know, if you believe in what you have, relentlessly market it. Yeah. You have to market it because no one's going to come find you. No, and they're yeah. not going to come knocking on your door going, oh, we found about this book because I plugged this book and I'm glad I bought another copy to, you know, do it on Kindle because, like I said, for those who have a hard time reading or ADD issues, that's probably the best thing to do is uh, go to Kindle, uh, go to your iPhone or your Android, and you just you can use the audio feature and it works so, so well. I'm like, because I was wondering, I'm like, why didn't even own a book? I, mean, I know your wife does a lot of voiceover too. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll hear her voice in his podcast also. Um, and I helped him start his, and we, that's why we picked each other's brains. He goes, hey, man, how do I start my own podcast? You know, how did you start yours? And I, I gave him a lot of tips. I mean, I'm still new to this, too. This is my only my third year doing it, or second or third year doing a podcast. And I was nervous. I was terrified. Um, the people that made me want to do it was friends, and then Kevin Smith, who's a major big name. If you don't know who he is, film director, clerks, and stuff like that, he always tells people, go ahead and start it. Do it. It's not that hard. It's not that expensive. The thing that made me terrified was the pricing of podcasting and then publishing people are terrified of that you know trademarking and stuff like that um luckily i found a good trademark attorney from my company which you know what i do and it, it costs you money but at the same time you like or eric said you can't be discouraged you got to just go for it yeah it's, it's terrifying but you know um lipson if you guys want to really get into podcasting lipson's one thing to go i told floyd about that he we picked each other's brain for about a good hour one day he's like hey can i pick your brain for a quick second I said, yeah and luckily, I went down the rabbit hole one day because I had it on through my website. Um, and then I, from the website, I wanted to get it on to iTunes, and that was like my goal. iTunes was a big thing because everybody's on iTunes or Google Play, yada, yada. And luckily, I spent a month of learning it, and I was like, oh, what's lips tonight? How I found that out was to um, Chris Hardwick's podcast, Nerdist or Idiot, the way he calls it now, he calls it Idiot. Um, and he interviews a lot of celebrities. He's a big nerd and stuff like that. He's done The Walking, Talking Dead, stuff like that. But yeah, like I said, don't be afraid. Start it. Put it up there. For me, it costs like 15 bucks a month. I was telling Floyd how much it how cheaply it costs, um, and you know you get audacity and you just you just do your thing. You just find something that works for you, and I'm so grateful to help you out with your podcast because you now got new equipment and stuff like that. I'm glad you're enjoying that, and yeah, it's good to pick your brain about all that stuff because you're like, hey, man, how the hell do I start this? Or well, you know, it's good to pick people's brain because I didn't know where I was starting, and now I'm able to give a little bit of insight to you on how to start yours. And um, I know you moved on to another church and stuff like that to your new, you know, your new style podcast. Um, can you go into a little bit of that? Can you tell people what your, your podcast is about? Oh, my podcast is a Christian podcast. Like I said, I mean, and I know that's not for everybody, but like I said, it's for me. So, but basically, to make a very long story short, my podcast is called Where Grace Abounds. And the main gist of the podcast is uh, I talk about um, something I'm passionate about. It's called the complete gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. meaning. You know, a, a, a lot of people think the gospel is, okay, I believe in Jesus and that he died for my sins and the Father raised him on the third day. I believe in that and I go to heaven. And that's true. Mm -hmm. That's 100% true if you believe the Bible. I mean, that's my reality. I don't know who's listening, what their reality is. That's my reality. Mm -hmm. But um, Jesus also said in John 10:10, 10, 10, I come that they, meaning my followers, might have life and life more abundant. So it's not just about believing in Jesus and waiting to die so you can go to heaven to be with him. Mm -hmm. It's also about having victory in this life. That's really the gospel, the good news. And so I promote that. I talk about that. And then I have guests on who are living victoriously through the gospel. And God has opened a lot of cool doors for my podcast. I've interviewed a lot of cool people. I interviewed the CEO of the Orlando Union Rescue Mission. 
uh, the president of the Central Florida Christian Chamber of Con Commerce. I've had writers, film, film uh, producers on, pastors from across Orlando. So God's opened up a lot of doors, and I I'm grateful for it. And like I said, I'm on all major platforms like you are. Yeah. And, you know, it's just like, these, this is what podcasters do. We help each other. I just had right. a woman on. She's a credit expert, and she has a podcast, and we're you know, cross-networking. So that's what this is about. Oh, man. it's all about so, marketing and helping yeah. each other. And I'm so glad I was like to help you out because you were, you're like, hey man, what do I begin? Like, what what do I buy? And I'm like, dude, you know, look what I got. I got a small little Zoom with a little, you know, lapel mics. So that's all you need. Yeah. You know, and everybody, but it's like, oh, I'm going to go and buy like a $12,000 mic. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it could be done on the phone. It could be done on the phone. Yeah. And I'm just so grateful to help you out and get you motivated to do your thing because like I said, it all comes, it all comes back around. You help somebody out and help, they help you out. And I'm so grateful that you've, uh, you know, you're, you're giving people like a lot of advice to get off their butt and write their own books. I know a lot of writers that you know are terrified, mm -hmm. terrified to, yeah. to publish. I think for that too, just to touch on it real quick, when your book, uh, when you're writing, were you were you a little terrified what people were going to say, or you know? You're always going to have your haters. You know, it's just like you know, you have your reviews and people are like this, and then you you can't please everybody. You know what, man, Ali, as an artist, and I think we're both artists, and I think as an artist, if you're, if you're happy with it, mm -hmm. you know, because when I look at my book, when I look at the content, what I, I know what I put into it, and mm -hmm. I'm happy with it. So if I'm happy with it, I can live with the results. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a friend of mine, and uh, she tells me, she's the president of the Central Florida Christian Chamber of Commerce. She says, obsess over the process, not the result. Like, just upset, like, make it the best you can be, and then, you know, the rest, man, you've done all you can do. Yeah. Because you're always going to have your haters, you know that. And, and most of the time, haters, they're not doing anything. They're just yeah. sitting around hating on yeah, people. Yeah, they just so. want to hate on you. They, yeah. they want to make sure you're not pushing forward your goal. Exactly. If they can keep pushing you every day, making you not get out of bed, or, you know, doing what you feel like you want to do, or going to work, it's like, that's their goal. They, mm -hmm. They've achieved their, their goal. Like, you need to get up and do your own thing. And like I said, it, it, people are just so terrified to put the work out there. And um, like when I first started this podcast, everybody's like, "Aren't you scared of your voice?" I'm like, "No, I'm not scared of my voice." Aren't you scared of your eyeball? Like, "No, I'm not scared of you," because I listen to a lot of podcasts that are, in opinion, not very well edited, which they don't need to be. It's yeah. it, if it's fun, if it's exciting, I'm still listening to it. Yeah. And like I said, it's cool to see your numbers go up, and you know, because you were like, "How do I get it out there? What do I do?" And it was so good to push it for you and. and get it moving. I'm so grateful you're now moving forward in yours and yeah. uh, it's been just a pleasure getting to know you and knowing that you're a person because you're just the guy behind the keyboard most of the time just typing away and you know, writing your articles. I'm like, and guys, he's a really sweetheart of a guy. I know many people up from work are just like, he doesn't talk. I'm like, he's busy working. They're like, oh, I'm like, he didn't say well. I'm like, he probably had headphones in because he's, <laughs> he's busy editing. I mean, one day I sit him and he has his whole notebook and he's just like, hey man, can I pick your brain for a minute? And we he just picks my brain about fun stuff, and he's a really cool cat. Pleasure to get to know you over these years. You too, Ali, man. No, obviously, like time. I said, you're an inspiration to so many people, man. I really appreciate you having me, having me on, man. Oh, yeah, been a pleasure, man. I hope to have you on again. Once, uh, if we can, at the end of the week, we'll uh, we'll do a check-in on how the derby went. Oh, we'll my a, goodness. I'll give you a quick Zoom call. I'm like, hey, Eric, how'd it go? And All like, right, yeah. Let's, let's do that. Let's check in uh, next week and see how uh, the horse race went and see if Eric was right on all his stuff. Before we jump off, anything else you want to add before we jump off for the, for the horse racing stuff? Or? No, hey, man, if you bet the derby, good luck. And just, man, all horses and riders come home safe. That's the most important thing. Right on. Yeah, yeah man. I hope you guys enjoy, man. Keep an open mind. Have a great one. I'll talk to you guys later.